What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. It's a beautiful day to strengthen democracy. Uh, however, there are some folks on the other side of that. I'm going to get into that rant in just a moment about how the anti-democracy movement may be reaching a tipping point around the United States and around the world. What does that mean for us all? What is the best way for people to govern themselves, essentially? Julio Rivera is going to drop by. I want to know what Republicans are for. I think we figured out what they're hysterically against, but what are they for? Brian Klass is with us for a uh, half-hour conversations with great minds. He's got a new book out called Corruptible, Who Gets Power and How It Changes Us. And I found this book absolutely fascinating. I wanted to share it with you. But to start, and this, you know, I referenced this yesterday kind of indirectly, but this, this is, a, you know, I, I think a more direct reference when we were talking about Ukraine and, and the possibility of war around the world and things like that. And I said, I, I really think that there's a larger issue at stake here. And, and this is the point. Uh, yeah, I wanted to organize my thoughts and write it down first, and I did. It's, it's published over at HartmanReport.com today. It, the, the title is, Is the Anti-Democracy Movement, it's the Anti-Democracy Movement, Reaching a Tipping Point in the U.S. and Around the World. And I would point out that 2006 was the peak year for democracies in the modern history of the human race. And since then, we have seen democracies going away rather than building up. Now, you know, personally, I lay a lot of the blame for that at the foot of neoliberalism, but that's a somewhat different rant. I, I think the, the Russian and Ukrainian conflict is actually probably that and the, the China-Taiwan conflict are, are two of the areas that are really highlighting this difference in worldviews. And that's, that's the thing that you know, while the, at the surface there's all this conversation about, you know, uh, is Russia going to invade Ukraine? Uh, is Ukraine part of the historic Russian territory? Should George W. Herbert Walker Bush have uh, kept his deal with uh, Gorbachev and not expanded NATO? I mean, there's all these issues that, that are being discussed on a regular basis. But I think the bottom line is, should Ukraine remain a democracy, a self-governing democracy where, where the people, a majority of the people elect their representatives, or is it going to become more like an oligarchy, more, more like Russia is right now, uh, you know, uh, 
a country run basically you know, with an iron fist, as it were. Um, and uh, I think this is actually a very open question, not, not specifically for Ukraine, but around the world, is this question of what's the best way for humans to govern themselves? Keep in mind, for about 5,000 years, uh, you know, the modern recorded history, the majority of human societies have not governed themselves democratically. In fact, democracies have been rare exceptions. Now, again, this is history, right? This is the history of empires, the, the, the Chinese dynasties, the, the Middle Eastern, you know, the pharaohs in Egypt, uh, and things like this. On, on the other hand, though, when you look at Aboriginal and Indigenous people, you find a lot of societies that are very democratically organized what you might call democracies. Certainly the Iroquois Confederacy, for example, this is the, one of the more well-known ones, but there are a number of them. In fact, they were the majority of American tribes, North American tribes at first contact, according to anthropologists like Peter Farb, you know, who wrote Man's Rise to Civilization back in the 60s. But Freedom House, and, and, and so you know, this raises the question, what's the best way for humans to live? I mean, if, the, if if human history, and, and even among Native American societies in North America, we had, well, the, the tribes here in the Pacific Northwest held slaves. You had uh, down in the Southeast, down in the New Orleans area, you had, you know, pyramid builders and, and sun gods among Native American tribes. Um, you had some Native American tribes that were what you might call predatory. On the other hand, you had a, a broad swath of Native American tribes that were highly democratic. As I said, they were the, probably the majority in North America at the time of first contact. So what is the right way for people to live? Or is there one? When we look at nature, what we find is, you know, up until maybe 30 years ago, the assumption was that all of nature is organized hierarchically. You know, like the alpha dog and the submissive pack. But now we're learning, and, and you know, I've talked about this on the program before. I, I wrote about it in several of my books. Now we're learning that democracy is actually pretty widespread in nature. You know, you, you watch a flock of birds flying overhead, and all of a sudden they all turn to the right. Well, how did that happen? It, it, you know, for, for most of my life, I was wondering if it was telepathy. Well, it turns out that every bird that is flying is voting. And if, you know, they, if more than 50% of them move a quarter inch to the right, the whole flock starts, you know, takes a 20 degree turn to the right. And the same with fish and schools of fish and things like that. So, you know, democracy is clearly in our genes, but we keep ending up with anti-democratic or non-democratic forms of governance. And now we're seeing, uh, as I noted, Freedom House, for example, reported this year, quote, the share of democracies designated not free has reached its highest level since the deterioration of democracy began in 2006, when countries with declines in political rights and civil liberties outnumbered those with gains by the largest margin recorded over this 15-year period. They downgraded the scores of 73 countries that constitute three-quarters of the entire world's population, the United States being among them. Tom Malinowski, the, the Democratic congressman, just tweeted yesterday, my office is now getting calls from folks who say they watch Tucker Carlson and are upset that we're not signing with Russia. Uh, yeah, uh, so the entire Republican Party has largely rejected democracy. 
they, they're putting up the legislation in state after state where if the majority of people vote for a Democrat, the Republicans in power can simply say, you know, we're going to ignore the outcome of that election. And, and the people that we know are going to vote for Democrats, which we're not going to let them vote, are going to make it really, really hard. So I would say that the real question at the core of the Ukraine conflict, as well as the China-Taiwan conflict, same deal. You've got China, which is an autocracy, and, and although they are capitalist, as is Russia. You know, capitalism and democracy don't have to go side by side. But you've got China that is an autocracy, and you've got Taiwan that is a democracy. And which will prevail? They both each sees the other as, as essentially an existential threat. Or at least China in particular sees Taiwan as a threat. But, the, you know, the story on the surface is well, this is just a breakaway, you know, uh, territory. So it seems to me that what's really at stake here is whether there, this consensus that began to form around the world after the American Civil War. Keep in mind, prior to the American Civil War, there were not more than, there were never more than six democracies in the world. After the American Civil War, we started getting more and more democracies. We hit a peak in 2006 with uh, nearly 100. It's, uh, I don't have the exact number right in front of me, but it was in the low 90s. Now, again, depending on how you define democracies, if you, you call the highly functioning democracies, it was around 70. So we hit that peak in, in 2006, and, and, and we've been sliding downhill ever since. Why? Is this the power of autocrats? Is this the power of oligarchs who want to take down democracies? It appears that that's the case here in the United States, where you've got very, very well-funded campaigns to block uh, down, small-D democracy in the United States. It appears that, you know, that may be the case in Russia, where you've got a, a lot of oligarchs who are, you know, not happy with the idea of democracy. And not just right, yeah, Hungary, it's happening. In Poland, it's starting to happen in a big way. We have anti-democratic movements that have emerged in, in Sweden, in Germany, in France, in the United Kingdom. This is happening all over the world. It's, it's kind of like a backlash against democracy. And, you know, like I said, you know, looking at the history of the human race and even the prehistory of the human race uh, gives kind of a confusing result. And then, of course, you get, you know, Donald Trump. I mean, look at the extraordinary damage that this guy did to democracy in the United States. He came along and, and, and you know, for four years openly admired autocrats and openly ridiculed Democrats, small d. You know, people who were leaders of democratic countries. He blew off the EU and NATO and embraced, you know, Russia and China and, and, and Bolsonaro and, and, and uh, Duterte in the Philippines, Bolsonaro in Brazil. Uh, you know, Mohammed bin Salman, you know, the, 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 the <laughs> emperor of Saudi Arabia. Um, it, it, it seemed like there wasn't a dictator anywhere in the world or an autocrat or an oligarch that Donald Trump didn't want to embrace and a democracy anywhere in the world that he didn't want to make fun of. And this has now become orthodoxy in the Republican Party. I mean, you had, you had a bunch of Republican senators uh, you know, who, who went to Russia for the 4th of July. So how, do, how does democracy stand? Does democracy survive? There are some very powerful forces. I mean, you've got like, you know, Tucker Carlson now openly taking the, the side of 
Russia in the Russia-Ukraine conflict on Fox News. Fox News is owned by the Murdoch family, and Rupert Murdoch is the guy that Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd of Australia said was, quote, the cancer eating the heart of, of Australian democracy, end quote. And he talked about how, you know, Murdoch damaged democracy in Australia, then went to the UK, damaged democracy there, then came to the United States and is dem damaging democracy here. Will it survive? It, particularly will it survive this, this attack from within, from within the Republican Party and from within our right-wing media? It's a great story in today's, uh, I believe it's the Washington Post, about how, yeah, it's, it's on, on the Washington Post. It's titled, Bannon was deplatformed. Now an obscure media, media mogul keeps him on the air. How this right-wing billionaire has, has made, put Steve Bannon in front of 8 million people on Dish TV every day. I mean, it's just amazing. Where do we go from here? This is the Tom Hartman Program. I don't have a clear answer, but I do think that this is one of the issues that we should be discussing in America. Are we committed to democracy? Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind? Well, there's plenty. Uh, first, I want to bring up this poll that was on, you know, the major network uh, media, cable news media this past weekend that 72% of Americans don't like the direction the country is going in. And, you know, even MSNBC, you know, they kind of failed on this one. It, it kind of depends on who's on for the hour, of course. But there's no explanation behind it. And, you know, it's, it, that kind of number, Dennis, is kind of meaningless without the granular data. I mean, you know, I, I'd like to see America becoming more progressive. So, you know, am I not? Yeah, happy? exactly. Yeah, Ex exactly. Because if they were to ask me that question, but then I would I would ask them back, ask me why I think that. Right. And I would say it's the Republican Party that's turning into the fascist party. That's passing voter suppression laws. That's obstructing anything Biden has tried to do, just like they did with Obama previously. Right. Uh, and I would talk about how, you know, all these corporations have merged together. So there's a lack of competition, which isn't good for capitalism, by the way, and so on and so forth. Uh, instead, it's kind of like, oh, you know, this is like the Republicans are going to win in November because so many people think America is going in the wrong direction. And it, it just, I want to tear, my, tear what's left of my hair out. Well, this is, I mean, this is, this is why, this is why I'm trying to take this to a larger, larger discussion, which is democracy itself, our form of government itself, you know, and, and our ability to even look at ourselves in our own history. You know, down in Florida, you got Ron DeSantis passing a law now that if you teach history that makes white people feel uncomfortable, you, you, you lose your job. I mean, it's, it's like, okay, how do we have a functioning government if we can't even acknowledge our own history? Well, it's really crazy. And, you know, that's the other thing about uh, how, how these polls ask questions. Um, apparently, like, uh, Republicans think our democracy is, is uh, going away. Well, you know, it is, in fact. But it's because of what they do, <laughs> not because of anything Democrats are doing. It's yeah. because of what they're doing. And yet, you know, I, I think they're, they're, this is their stance. 
We want democracy for white people and nobody else. Kind of like in South Africa, so the South African, the old apartheid South, South Africa. It was a great place to live if you were a white person, perhaps even if you were colored, if you looked white enough. It wasn't for anybody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I, 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 I do. And I don't think that this is, I, I don't think you can boil it down quite that simply, although, you know, the, because I, I, because frankly, I don't think most Republicans actually want democracy. I mean, even for white people. Exactly. I, you know, I think what they yeah. want is, is a powerful daddy figure who's going to make everything safe and everything's going to be good. And don't worry, daddy's in charge. That's what I think most yeah. Republicans want. And that's not democracy. Well, democracy is messy. Well, they think wow. that's democracy. They think that that's democracy because it's going to protect only them. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Else. We'll see how this how this works out. Dennis, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So we pretty much know, I think, you know, from Build Back Better and everything else, we pretty much know what Democrats are in favor of. They want to do something about climate change. They want to provide free college education to people and trade school education to people who are, uh, you know, interested in that, who want that. Uh, they want to provide workers with the rights to unionize. They want to provide health care to all Americans at an affordable cost. No more medical bankruptcies. We're literally the only developed country in the world where even one person goes bankrupt because somebody got sick of their family. In America last year, it was nearly a million. Um, uh, Democrats want everybody to be able to vote who is a legal citizen. They want our infrastructure rebuilt and they want honest history taught in our schools. We know these things. This is straightforward stuff. But last week, Joe Biden came out and asked this question. What are the Republicans for? What are they, what are they in favor of 
that Americans would want, which is not something that the Democrats are already pitching. So I thought, well, let's ask Julio Rivera, the editorial director at Reactionary Times, contributor to Newsmax, the American Thinker, and townhall.com, reactionarytimes.com, the website, and oh yeah, it's Julio on Twitter. Julio, welcome back. What are Republicans in favor of? Well, um, that's a good question, because there's a lot of different factions within the party. Uh, some of them that, that lean a little bit more progressive are in favor of uh, some of the climate change stuff, some of the bigger government programs. But the fact of the matter is, I think what we need to do right now is America needs to go into damage control based on a lot of Biden uh, policy that was uh, specifically Biden policy, like done by executive fiat. I think a lot of what we're suffering through right now, especially the rising prices of everything, is attributable to America losing its energy independence. So this kind of plays into, you know, you guys want to be greener. You guys are, you know, part of the, the climate change hysteria and you kind of want to change, you know, break or I'm sorry, fix something that wasn't necessarily broken. I, th I think we were doing well under Trump in regard to energy. Hang on just a second. You've got you've baffled me here, Julio. You talk about energy independence. Okay. It used to be illegal for uh, American oil to be exported, and I mean, you know, like for 60 years, it was against the law to export American oil. You could export refined products, you could export gasoline, but not oil because it was considered strategic. And we reached this point during the Obama administration where we technically no longer needed oil imports. Donald Trump did away with that law. Why are you blaming this on Joe Biden? Well, because he uh, revoked the license for the Keystone Pipeline on day one of his administration. Uh, you but know, that's not an export. That's an import. There's a correlation. I, I listen. The cost of energy is rising. You're you're switching the conversation about. No, I'm 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 trying to ask what the Republicans are for. You're not going to get me with this, Tom. I've been through this. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure if I got you here, Julio. Right. I really am not. I, no, I you you're know I just didn't understand. I already know when I'm walking in there. I there's trap doors. I, I know. Things jumping out at me. No, no. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. And, and it's and you're a worthy adversary in that regard. But I'm not trying to turn this into a shouting match or a debate here. I, I'm yeah, no, and, and I get to. it. I don't what, want to because this you're is serious. What you're opposed to is Biden. Okay, let's you know, let's stipulate that. No, what no, does you know? What are you Biden. for? Are you I'm for energy anti-American policy? I, I'm opposed to anti-American policy. Right now, we've got to be smart about what we do. You know, we've got so much. Um, so what are you for? Uh, coronavirus spending, so much stimulus spending that it's bringing inflation up to its highest level in 40 years. So, in concert with the increased energy costs. Because we're shooting ourselves in the foot in a lot of ways because of this whole, you know, the climate change thing. We don't, we don't want to give, we don't want to, um, you know, I guess uh, produce more of our own oil or make it more cheaper or make it cheaper to produce uh, energy in, uh, domestically. Um, so what we're doing, and what we're doing, is we're also empowering our enemies too because the OPEC mafia, you know, those countries, Russia, you know, Russia is, is, is um, you know, uh, basically they, they're building a pipeline. But, you know, we're, we're ceasing, you know, the Keystone Pipeline. So what kind of sense does that make? When you look at it from a global perspective, um, it, it's not very smart what America's doing in regards to its energy policy. And that singular thing is literally is affects the price of every consumer product, the cost of energy in America. So when Americans are, are looking true. at the fact that their checks aren't stretching out as far as they used to, 
They need to look at the Biden administration's energy policy. That's, no, that's not true. I'm not, saying, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that that's everything. Well, I'm not saying that that's everything, but it's well, a big well, part. Let's not, let, you know, let's not do the fire hose thing here. Um, okay, so so you said that, uh, first of all, you, you, it sounds like what you're in favor of is America becoming energy independent, but you don't think that the way to do that is by having more rooftop solar and windmills. Instead, the way to do that is to produce more oil in the United States? Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, but how, is, how are we going to achieve that, though? Like, like let's, let's go back to uh, Obama's oh. stimulus, the $787 billion stimulus. No, remember no, that? I, I, I don't want to go there. Right? I'm not talking about that. green energy. Hey, Julio, hang on. Do you remember Solyndra? Hey. Do you remember Solyndra? Do you remember Solyndra? Do you remember... Julio, don't make me pot you down. Don't, please don't make me pot you down. I mean, you know, when we're yelling over each other, nothing happens. I, you said, okay. number one, you shot, thought we should be energy independent. I, par I rephrase that back to you to say, it sounds to me like you're saying we should be developing more fossil fuels and fewer renewables. Um, is that essentially what you're arguing? Well, I mean, if we can do renewables in a way where it's not subsidized by the government, because, I mean, every time we do these stimulus, these so-called... Uh, 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 you know, the, the Build Back Better spending, which is for climate change. These are all subsidies for these cronious businesses that are in bed with Democratic progressive politicians. You know, uh, they, these are the people. OK, who are so so you're opposed campaign. to subsidies, but uh, but you're in favor, generally speaking, of increasing our energy portfolio. Cool. Um, inflation. You said that inflation was being caused by Joe Biden spending money to resolve the covid problems. And, I'm not, I'm not but, saying just Joe Biden. I'm saying. I'm saying because of the way that we handled the coronavirus pandemic. Right. We need no, I, I, you know, you're probably right. The economy for so long, a lot of the spending occurred under Trump. But yeah, yeah, you're probably, you're a, probably right. And there is a piece of that. And in fact, uh, I, I believe it was uh, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase or maybe it was uh, Goldman Sachs uh, just last week came out and said that Americans have a trillion dollars more in their savings accounts now uh, across the board than they did. And this is, you know, not the billionaires. This is, you know, Americans than they did uh, two years ago before the, before the pandemic. And a lot of that has been a transfer of wealth from our government to our people. But that ended. I mean, that was that, when Build Back Better was not passed, that was the end of the child tax credit. That was the end of the $300 a week uh, you know, unemployment benefits. That's you all think, ended. You think that they so what are you in favor of? That are, felt are the effects of that supposed to be felt the next day? Come on, Tom, you're smarter than that. You no, I'm agreeing with you. I'm, I'm saying, okay, I'm saying, those things probably were inflationary. All that spending because it's creating more demand. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm yes, absolutely. But it has stopped. So, what are you in favor of? I'm, I'm trying to get back this whole thing, Julio. I'm trying to get to this question that Joe Biden was asking. What are the Republicans for? Okay, we got it that you're well, for. I can tell you what I'm for. I can tell you what I'm for, and it's the same thing that I always argue for every time I come on your show. I'm for. Less regulation um, for lower taxes. I don't like the fact. Listen, there's a, you know the fact that Joe Biden, after he won the election, said that he intended to grant legalization to 11 million illegal residents. That that's causing you know that caused the, the border crisis, which we don't report on anymore. He's made a lot of mistakes. You know, saying that he was going to raise taxes on the campaign trail. That's killing investment international and foreign investment into the United States. Which do you think anybody really believes that now. stuff anymore? What do you mean believes it? I mean, you know, well, if you look at the period, well, let me answer your question. Next year, because he couldn't use it last Julio, Julio, hang on, hang on, hang on. The time of the greatest economic growth in the history of America, 
was from 1950 to 1980. And during that time, the top income tax rate, personal income tax rate was 74%, and the top corporate tax rate was yeah, about 50%. I know this, I know you said yeah, and it was stupid then, and it would be stupid now if we did that again. Okay, so you're in favor of cutting taxes that was, that was further really, for billionaires. That was the precipice. That, those tax rates were the precipice of the globalization and the export of American industry internationally. And it really took off after 1970 once we let China into the room. So you think that, that, that companies in America started... We all of our industry. So, so let me get this straight. You're saying that the reason why, uh, you know, a, a guy who starts a shoe company and, you know, Nike, uh, Phil Knight, the reason why he started making shoes in China instead of the United States was because he was paying a 74% income tax rate and he didn't want to pay that? I don't understand. I mean, he was, he's, he's making more money he, making them in that China. Guy, that guy's using child slave labor right now. So, I mean, I don't even know why we're, we're bringing up a guy that, you know, you know how Nike operates. I don't like, I don't have any. Well, I'm not to trying to pick on Nike. I'm, the point I'm trying to make, I was trying to just, in my mind, come up with a manufacturer who manufactures entirely outside the United States. Because you were saying that our jobs left because our taxes were high. And all, all shipping our jobs overseas does is increase the profits for people in this country, regardless of their taxes. I don't see how tax policy has anything to do with it. <laughs> well, how about generating some income and revenue and creating some jobs here domestically by bringing, listen, when, 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 Trump, uh, when the Trump uh, uh, plan passed, the, uh, the, the, job, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017 or 18, whatever right. it was, the actual Trump plan, that actually uh, caused a rise to the incomes in America for the middle class, and it actually created jobs. We had low unemployment, historically low black and Hispanic unemployment. The people that the Democrats claimed to want to help were actually helped by Trump, and Trump also with opportunity zones, bringing down taxes, I believe, to 3% in uh, urban enterprise zones. So people of color and people who reside in those areas can create new businesses. So you're in favor of, of the government passing out, you're in favor of the government passing out money to to stimulate no i'm not afraid of nobody nobody passing out money to anybody earning it <laughs> the way it works is if it's profitable to do business in america all the you know enterprise all the people with the great ideas they'll 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 do business in the united states of america and they'll create new wealth and new revenue we've lost that because we're we're running one of the highest um you know before actually trump brought it down one of the highest global tax rates. It's around 35 or 40 percent uh, for, for, for corporations. So you're in favor of more energy, lower taxes. Biden himself said he was bringing it up. Okay, Biden I, said he was bringing it up. Yeah, no, I, I got it. Okay, Julio Rivera, editorial director at ReactionaryTimes.com. Oh, yeah, it's Julio on Twitter. Julio, thanks for dropping by and enlightening us. Happy New Year, Tom. Hey, thank you. Happy New Year to you, too, Julio. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Right now, Dr. Brian Kloss is with us for our Conversations of the Great Minds segment. He's Associate Professor of Global Politics at the University College London, columnist for the Washington Post, the host of the podcast Power Corrupts, and the author of this new book, this extraordinary new book, uh, Corruptible, Who Gets Power and How It Changes Us. And uh, Dr. Kloss, welcome to the program, and, and thank you so much for writing the book. I'd like to kind of go through, as you've organized the book, you know, the table of contents and such. Let's start out by defining power, who gets power and how it changes us, you know, corruptible, the title of your book. How are you defining power here and what is the evolutionary history, I suppose, culturally, psychologically, socially speaking, of it? Yeah, so power is about wielding authority over somebody else. You can't have power unless you have uh, the authority to make somebody do something they wouldn't otherwise do. And what I'm really looking at is formal hierarchical power. So the idea of somebody being in an organization above you, your boss, the president, a police officer. And what I'm trying to do in the book is answer this age-old chicken, uh, chicken or egg question of do corruptible people seek power or does power corrupt? And the answer really is both. But I'm trying to figure out how we can engineer systems that change the status quo so that the current system of corruptible people seeking power and getting it more effectively than others is inverted, and we have normal, decent people self-selected to positions of authority and wield it justly, and that's what the book is really about. Now, this is not something that is altogether unusual in history, is it, the egalitarian political and economic systems? Yeah, you know, so what I'm looking at in the, in the broad sweep of history is that most of the sort of Stone Age past that humans had was mostly egalitarian. Most hunter-gatherers, even to this day, the ones who are the uncontacted groups and so on, uh, have more egalitarian systems. And there's sort of two things that change, what I call pithily in the book, the war and peace hypothesis, peace as in P-E-A-S. And that's because warfare and agriculture are really two major drivers in anthropological history of understanding why we have hierarchies, why we have bosses and bosses, bosses, and so on. And what's interesting here, I think, is, is how when you have hierarchy, it's not necessarily good or bad. I mean, one of the experts that I interviewed said hierarchy is like fire. It can be used to cook food or it can burn people. And so it's not necessarily the aspect of power that's the problem. It's the way it's designed in modern society that unfortunately is like a, a red carpet to Machiavellian psychopathic narcissists in modern society, and that's really uh, what I'm setting out to try to counteract. 
for example? So, for example, uh, one of the things that you need to think about when you think about systems of power is who tries to become powerful. And there's a self-selection process. So in the, in the psychology literature, for example, there's a, a set of traits called the dark triad, Machiavellianism, narcissism, psychopathy. Now, when you think about who actually decides they want to be powerful and how they can get power, narcissistic Machiavellian psychopaths are very, very good at superficial charm at making people like them for short periods of time. It is the ideal persona for a job interview. It's the ideal persona for an election. And so what I argue is that small tweaks can help us change this. So one small example is that when you look at studies that use CVs and they randomize names on the top of fake CVs, fake resumes, of equal quality, the people who are white and male get more job offers and more job interviews than the people whose names are not white and male. And so, you know, simply by anonymizing applications, you can actually get a much fairer system. It's a very, very simple tweak, but it would make society fairer. And then on top of that, you have to think about the system. So one of my favorite studies in the book uh, asked these students to roll a dice 42 times and then self-report their scores. And the more times they rolled a six, or they claimed they rolled a six, the more money they'd get. Now, when they did the study in India and they surveyed the students, the students who lied disproportionately on their, about their dice rolls, they said they rolled sixes way more than they actually did, those were the students that said in career surveys that they wanted to go into the civil service where you could extract bribes and engage in kickbacks. When they did the exact same study in Denmark, the results were inverted. The students who were honest and responsible in reporting their dice rolls were the ones who wanted to go in the squeaky clean civil service in Denmark. And so what I think is, is a crucial insight here is that rotten systems attract rotten people and good systems attract good people. And so, so to me, you know, it's not just these sayings like power corrupt or corruptible people are drawn to power. There's this missing variable of how you design a society, how you design a system that attracts better people into power and makes sure they get there rather than catering uh, to not narcissistic Machiavellian psychopaths, which we seem to have plenty of uh, the further up we look on the food chain. Yeah, I, I don't know if, uh, if you object to bringing politics into this, just let me know. But it, it seems like uh, since the Supreme Court legalized the bribery of political officials, and, and first by uh, wealthy individuals in 1976 with the Buckley decision, then with corporations and the Bellotti decision in 78, and then double down, triple down on it with Citizens United in 2010, um, we have gone from, well, in the 60s, you know, the average piece of legislation that passed the House was 56% of the time passed the Senate. Now we're at around 4 or 5%. I mean, it's that, it has become that, and, and, and stuff isn't even passing the House. I mean, it's just become that crippled. It seems like, to me, that this decision that legal corruption, that legal bribery, that, that uh, giving money to politicians in exchange for their doing what you want, which we used to call bribery, and we haven't been able to legally call bribery since 76, which I argue brought us the Reagan revolution, that that is exactly what you're talking about, an example that every American can understand and identify. Am I off base there? No, you're completely right. And I think this goes to that idea of what I call the self-selection into power. So if you're power hungry, if you want power, you'll do anything to get it, right? But now what we've done is we've made it so that in order to run for office in the United States, you basically have to be rich or you have to be willing to accept a lot of money from potentially nefarious sources. 
And so what it's done is it's repulsed all the normal, decent people who just want to serve their communities because they don't want the power for the sake of power. They look at what politics has become, the cesspool, and they just self-select out of it. They say, I'll do something else with my time. I don't want to have this whole you know, constant treadmill of raising money or meeting with lobbyists. And so you know, what I'm speaking about is exactly this, that when you make a system toxic, when you make it overflowing with money and special interests, you're going to get the people who don't mind that going into politics. They're the ones who are not just going to not mind it. They're actually going to find it attractive because they get the big payoffs at the end of the day. They want the money. They want the power. And that's the point of the system. If you're driven by public service, you're simply going to go into a different job. And I think this is the problem, is that we've actually designed a system that attracts the worst of our society. And, and until we deal with that, it's going to act like you know, sort of this steroid to the effect that already exists in human society, that power-hungry people go towards power, and they're better at getting it than, the most, than most of the rest of us who are not Machiavellian psychopaths. And so you know, I worry a lot about this intersection between individuals and systems, and the modern United States is one that's given lots of rewards and incentives to the worst among us going to the top. Now, we have in the United States, on several points that we can identify historically, uh, rejected or pushed back against this tendency. I mean, uh, 1891, the Sherman Antitrust Act, trying to, trying to stop this uh, predatory uh, capitalist behavior of people like John Rockefeller. Um, 1907, the Tillman Act that made it a federal felony for any corporation to give money to any candidate for political office at the federal level. That was incorporated into, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the law, in the 1920s. You know, we have tried to, you know, we've had little mini revolutions against corruption in the United, well, in 74, we passed you know, literally hundreds of laws across the states and, and federally, what you might call good government laws in the wake of the Nixon and Agnew bribery scandals. Those were all, of course, blown up, not all of them in 76 with Buckley, but by 2010, all of them were blown up, or the vast majority of them with Citizens United. Are there other countries? Are there other examples of times when systems have self-corrected? And is it possible for a system to become so corrupt that self-correction is impossible short of anything, you know, like a just a complete political revolution? Yeah, you know, I think the, the, the real problem is that you have the foxes guarding the hen houses here. So you, you're reliant to a certain extent on corruptible individuals who are already becoming corrupt by the system, reforming it and often putting themselves out of a job. So I'll give you one example of how I think we can deal with this. And, and it's sort of an outside-the-box example, but I think it's important. I propose in the book that we have, uh, we, we, we basically set up a randomized, so randomly selected shadow Congress, for example, in the United States. So this draws on this concept of sortition that's from ancient Greece, where you had sort of jury duty citizen assemblies. I don't think that's a good idea in the modern era, because I think the complexity of politics is such that you need actual specialists in Congress itself. But I think a shadow one, one that has a random assortment of Americans in it, would not engage in the same sort of corrupt decision-making that our actual Congress does. And by having it in place, it would actually expose when real Congress people were doing things because lobbyists were telling them to do so. So if you just randomly selected, say, 435 Americans and said, look, you have to debate the same bills, the same sort of ideas that Congress does, it's not binding, but everybody in America is going to be able to see what you decide. It would provide a nice, very light-touch check on Congress 
actually engaging in corruption. And this doesn't require any law. You can just set it up. And I think this is the kind of outside-the-box thinking we need to redesign our societies. That's fascinating. It's, it's almost a variation on polling, but uh, we'll, we'll continue the conversation. We're talking with Dr. Brian Kloss. He's got a new book. It's called Corruptible, Who Gets Power and How It Changes Us. So, Brian, in your book, you talk about how power literally corrupts, uh, how power changes. I mean, you've got a chapter titled How Power Changes Your Body. What does power do to humans? Well, it does a couple things, psychologically and physically. So on the psychological level, it warps your thinking. And the most basic way of understanding this is that people who are truly in power don't have normal experiences. I mean, I, I spoke at one point to Andrew Yang, the former presidential candidate, and what he said was, you know, I walk into a room and everybody laughs at every joke. Everybody stands up and cheers when I'm running for president. That's not a normal human experience. Now, this happens to all sorts of people in power. And there's an asymmetry in how much powerful people need their underlings compared to how much the underlings need the powerful people. So, you know, there's, there's this sort of uh, Hegelian, the, the philosopher Hegel talks about this relationship between a master and an enslaved person and says, look, you know, the master doesn't really need to know that much about the enslaved person. The enslaved person needs to know about the master, because otherwise they're going to get beaten. And that dynamic also explains in the modern world why often people don't know, uh, like the bosses don't know their employees' birthdays, but the employees know their boss's birthday, because there's an asymmetric relationship in terms of how important someone seems to you. Now, when that actually seeps into your thinking, it starts to make the people below you abstract, they're, they're not important. They're not worth their consideration. And it does, we've, we've seen this in psychology studies, that people become more disposable in your thinking. Now, it actually also changes your body. There's a, a stress uh, effect that we've seen, and also truly powerful people, like presidents, die faster because of the actual toll that it takes. But there's an amazing study from non-human primates that I talk about in the book, in which monkeys are put into hierarchies and then offered the choice between banana pellets and cocaine intravenous cocaine uh, injected into their bodies. They can pull one lever and get a banana pellet, another lever, and they get cocaine. And what's amazing is that the, the monkeys that are on the top of the hierarchy always take the banana pellets. The ones who end up on the bottom always take the cocaine. And even if you take a powerful monkey, one that's on top, and then put it into a different situation where it ends up on the bottom, it switches. And amazingly, when they look at the dopamine receptors in their brains, the physical structure has actually changed. So there's truly astonishing research that power is actually like a drug that does change the, the chemical composition of human brains and of non-human primate brains. And it's much more complicated than just that, uh, that pithy saying that power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Yeah, Lord Acton's saying. Um, there have been numerous studies over the years showing that people who are lower on social hierarchies, whether they be racial hierarchies in those societies that are organized that way, like ours is, tragically, or economic hierarchies, score higher on, on tests of empathy than do people who are higher in the hierarchy. This, this is the same phenomenon, right? Yeah, and you know, this also, there's a whole series of psychological literature that does show how power corrupts. And one of my favorite studies that resonates with what you just said about the, the, the aspects of empathy and so on, is there's a, a psychologist named Dacher Keltner out, there, out at uh, UC Berkeley. And he did this study with the fanciness of cars in which a grad student would walk into a crosswalk and see if the car stopped to be courteous. And amazingly, there was a strong correlation between how expensive the car was and how often they stopped. So the people with uh, sort of the junkers 
they stopped for the person in the crosswalk. The people in the Teslas and uh, fancy cars, BMWs, uh, just kept on going. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. We'll continue the conversation on the other side of this uh, this bump here. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Brian Kloss, his new book, Corruptible, Who Gets Power and How It Changes Us. Stick around. We'll be right back. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Brian Kloss, Associate Professor of Global Politics at University College London, columnist with The Washington Post, host of the Power Corrupts podcast, author of the new book, Corruptible, Who Gets Power and How It Changes Us. Brian Kloss, K-L-A-S-S, at Twitter and, uh, and also BrianKloss.com on the Internet. Um, Dr. Kloss, we were talking about systems and people, and you mentioned psychopathy. I'm, I'm wondering... Uh, throughout history, uh, uh, you know, as we look at at situations, there's you know there, there there are these competing notions of the great man theory of history. History is defined by by its leaders, but you know, uh, or versus the idea that uh, people step into opportunities provided by the times. To to what extent is, is is are our political and economic lives being driven by? people whose own internal motivations are either narcissistic and psychopathic. On the one hand, I'm thinking, you know, Donald Trump, or I'm thinking Chainsaw Al Dunlop, who reveled in the fact that he had fired over 10,000 employees during his career, started out a sunbeam, and then he became a, you know, a, 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 a killer for hire, essentially, a hitman for hire for, you know, giant corporations that wanted to downsize, um, versus... Uh, you know, uh, times that we have been the exact opposite of that, more egalitarian. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's both. I mean, it's, it's certainly the case that there are opportunities that are presented by social change. But then who walks into that opportunity does really matter. And I think this has been a mistake, by the way, in social science uh, in, in modern times, because often you'll talk about the presidency as though the presidency is this one thing. And trying to explain U.S. politics in the last five, six years without reference to Donald Trump's personality type is, is foolhardy. It's a stupid thing to do because he obviously has changed the system dramatically. What we know about the people with the dark triad, that Machiavellian narcissistic psychopathy being a psychopath, is that they are a small number of people in society writ large, and they're massively overrepresented in power. And so they do disproportionate damage. And because they're so ruthless... And because some of our systems make it easy for them to work their way up the food chain, so to speak, they're disproportionately dangerous. And depending on the study you look at, there's either four times or a hundred times, somewhere in that range, the number of psychopaths in top levels of leadership in society relative to the general population. So even though it's unlikely that your manager is a psychopath, the number of people who are in consequential positions 
does a huge amount of damage, which is why I devote a significant chunk of the book to them, because they are so dangerous. And so, you know, we do have good leaders around us. There are good people who go into power. I'm not trying to suggest otherwise. But there's a special amount of attention that's warranted to these particularly destructive individuals, because they don't just do damage. They also set systems on a crash course for even worse behavior. So if you think about Trump, for example, he has not just done damage while he's in the presidency. He's actually changed the way the Republican Party operates. He's removed constraints from people in power by making clear that you can get away with a huge amount of stuff. And so that individual has done way more damage than a normal president would do in a four-year term. And so, you know, they warrant special consideration, but they are massively overrepresented in positions of power. Brian, we have a little less than a minute left. How, how, how do we best shun these people? How do we isolate them? How do I identify them? I know, you know, Aboriginal societies do this routinely. It's a great question. I've got uh, 10 ideas in the book that will help fix this. But one thing that I think is the most simple is we need to start recruiting people who already behave with integrity rather than waiting for people to say, I should be powerful. Let me run for office. Mm. I think there are too many times in which we allow self-selection where someone says, I should be the leader, and those people are most likely to be power hungry. And instead, we need to say, I know you think the power will be burdensome to you. You don't want it, but that's precisely why you should have it. And the more that we proactively headhunt people who have proven their moral worth in society, the better our systems are going to end up in the end. Wow. The, the interrelationship between systems and personalities is extraordinary. And, and a brilliant book here. Brian, Dr. Brian Claus, Corruptible, Who Gets Power and How It Changes Us. Uh, Brian, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's been fascinating. Thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Mary in Seattle. Hey, Mary, thanks for holding and thanks for listening to KBCS. What's on your mind today? Well, Hi. I just wanted to pose an idea about why the prices are so high and uh, political manipulation. Right after Biden won, you know, I was on like Occupy Democrats or things like that online, and it would be these trolls, you know, they always had them. And they would be saying, like, this is in December. Mm-hmm. You know, late November. Oh, wait, Biden won, but wait till all the prices go up. You guys are going to be paying $5 for gas, and in some places we are, you, your prices are going to go real high. And I'm like, either they are profits or somebody's manipulating the system to make us, the people, mad at Biden so they'll vote for the Republicans. And another thing I had heard of... Uh, this thing about oil and gas, too. They have been manipulating those prices. The food is ridiculous. And the company owners of these, you know, gas and oil and food and stores, they are the rich, the rich, rich, super rich Republicans. So who do you think they're donating to and who do you think they want to win? Because the Democrats are messing with their money. And I look at how Pat Robinson 
you know, from the Christian Broadcasting Network. Yeah, Robertson. Yeah. You know, he ran for president before, mm. and he has some inside information we don't have. I'm telling you, this guy stated before Trump got elected in 2016. Now, it was tight times, and there were money issues and everything. And he said, if you vote Republican for this election, the next day there'll be money flowing in the streets. And I'm like, how are you predicting this when if it's money flowing in the streets and now it's yeah, pretty that's tight just, here? That's just Pat Robertson being being Pat Robertson. But but, but Mary, you, you, said, you, you, you raised you raised three important points here, and that, that I think you know really deserve a response. You know, suggesting that the prices are being manipulated for political purposes and that they are manipulatable, and that people on the right or, or people in general were predicting that inflation was coming. The predict, first of all, the predicting that inflation is coming part is easy. Most economists knew that some inflation was going to come once the pandemic eased up, which which is what really happened just before the Delta wave when we thought, okay, we're getting back to normal. Louise and I actually, it was outdoors, but we, we had breakfast at a restaurant. And so that increase in demand, I mean, we saw this after the World War II. We saw it after the Arab oil embargo. You know, when you have a shortage of goods for a while or services and then they become available the demand for them is greater than normal that greater than normal demand produces inflation it drives up prices so that was predictable the exact amount you know what it would be is it going to be three percent is it going to be six percent is it going to be twenty percent nobody knew but it was predictable so it didn't take a genius or god informing pat robertson to predict that but that said your other point about how many of these prices are manipulated is a huge part of it because when Reagan stopped enforcing the antitrust laws in 1983, we had a, an economy in the United States where if you walked down the main street of your average small town America or even large town America, the vast majority of the stores you saw were locally owned small businesses named after local families, named after the local town. Nowadays, you could jump out of an airplane at 60,000 feet, land in any city in America, look around, and have no idea where you are because all the banks are Wells Fargo and all the restaurants are Olive Gardens and all the hotels are Marriott's. And you know, so when Reagan did away with that, what happened was we ended up with all these giant monopolies who control every sector of our economy, and they have decided that they want to increase their profits. And so they're raising prices. Biden pointed this out just a couple of weeks ago about the meat industry. Four companies control 80% of the meat in this country, and they are jacking up prices even though they're profitable, even though they're hugely profitable already, just because they can. So you've got that as well. So, so Mary, I think, I, you know, I think your points are well made, and and, and those would be my comments on them. Thank you for the call. Phil in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Hey, Phil, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up? Hey, thanks for talking to me. I've enjoyed all the different programs you had today, and I, I wanted to say something about inverse totalitarianism and the direction of our policies for the last 40 years. Through the incrementalism, it seems to me that the Democrats now sounding Kennedy-esque in their Cold War war beatings for this battle in Ukraine seems to me dangerous, you know, in both parties building up the military, you know, beyond, you know, any reasonable level. I, do, I just don't see, just like our expansion of NATO into Eastern Europe, which was a mistake in my view, and I'll let you answer whatever I say where you think it's wrong, but I don't think there's any way we can win anything in Ukraine. And we've empowered basically the worst types of fascists and the former, you know, what Cheney called the new Europe. 
The new Europe, it seems to me, looks essentially like the German sphere of influence under Hitler. You know, not to get into the hyperbole, but but at any rate, if you can make me believe, it's much like with Cinema and uh, Mansion, is that I believe our party is so weak that it's no longer really salvageable. I think the Democratic Party has basically become the Vichy party of America. It's no longer really, you know, we are now the center-right party and the Republicans are just a white fascist supremacist party. So I'm not very optimistic about any electoral solutions. It seems to me that psychologically, everything you talk about for reforms is what really is addressed more through Marxist philosophy, you know, I mean, a council system, you know, more communitarian attitudes. And trying to reform, you know, late-stage capitalism with communitarianism seems to me destined to fail. But that's, that's all I'll say. Okay, Phil. You laid out four or five things there, and I've uh, frankly lost track of what they all were. Can you make one specific point I can respond to? Uh, the one specific point I say is that we have made so many bad decisions for 40 years since the end of the Soviet Union that I think that there is no way that we can successfully have a foreign policy impact on Eastern Europe without continuing to support fascism. And if you can make me believe otherwise, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd love to hear. Well, we've been talks. we have been supporting fascism around the world for the better part of 100 years, you know, in order to support our own economic policies. So, you know, you're not wrong in that. But I don't think that you know, supporting the, the current administration in Ukraine, for example, is supporting fascism. Is that what you're saying? I think that the Democrats are so incompetent that we support. We're now in a situation where no matter what we do, we're supporting fascism. We just simply are a fail. We are becoming essentially the rogue. What is what is a nice rhetorical flourish? But, you know, what's fascist about Ukraine again? Essentially, it is now looking like most of Eastern Europe beyond Poland, which is like on the front lines, is that most of its population doesn't even live in Ukraine anymore. They work abroad. We have essentially propped up the government, much like uh, we did with Solidarity. And the far right Catholics in the West are, you know, basically the ones that are the militias. And we are either directly or indirectly supporting that. And Poland is directly supporting that. And Well, you've got Poland you know, and Hungary who are both politically being pushed hard to the right. I mean, Hungary is, is uh, arguably a fascist country right now. And, and Poland is certainly moving in that direction. But I, again, I don't, I don't get the Ukraine connection, you know, and all the Marxist rhetoric. It just, Bill, thanks for the call. Special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercote, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Sprouse, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabberwocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo, and Carne Verde. All the folks who work on this program. And thank you to you for uh, participating with our program and spreading the good word and supporting our sponsors and our stations. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.